This reading is from Genesis chapter 13 to 14. If you're using a church Bible, I think it's on page 9 and 10 of the church Bibles. So, Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and Lot with him into the Negev. Now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold, He journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. And Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the lands could not support both of them dwelling together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. Then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me, and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right Or if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, uh, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward, For all the lands that you see I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron, And there he built an altar to the Lord. In the days of Amraphel, king of Shinar, Arioch, king of Elisar, Chedor Laomer, king of Elam, and Tidal, king of Goim, these kings made war with Bera, king of Sodom, Bersha, king of Gomorrah, Shinab, king of Admar, Shemabah, king of Zeboim, and the king of Belah, that is Zoar. And all these joined forces in the valley of Sidim, that is the Salt Sea. Twelve years they had served Chedor Laomea, but in the thirteenth year they rebelled. In the fourteenth year, Chedor Laomer and the kings who were with him came and defeated the Rephaim in Ashtaroth Karnaim, the Zuzim in Ham, the Emim in Shaver Kiriathaim, and the Horites in their hill country of Seir, as far as El Paran, on the border of the wilderness. Then they turned back 
and came to En Mishpat, that is Kadesh, and defeated all the country of the Amalekites and also the Amorites who were dwelling in Hazazon Tamar. Then the king of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, the king of Admah, the king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, that is Zoar, went out, and they joined battle in the valley of Sidim with Chedor Leomer, king of Elam, Tidal, king of Goim, Amraphel, king of Shinar, and Arioch, king of Elisar, four kings against five. Now the valley of Sidim was full of bitumen pits, and as the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, some fell into them, and the rest fled to the hill country. So the enemy took all the possessions of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their provisions and went their way. They also took Lot, the son of Abram's brother, who was dwelling in Sodom, and his possessions and went their way. Then one who had escaped came and told Abram, the Hebrew, who was living by the oaks of Mamre, the Amorite, brother of Eshcol and of Anna. These were allies of Abram. When Abram heard that his kinsmen had been taken captive, he led forth his trained men born in his house, 318 of them, and went in pursuit as far as Dan. And he divided his forces against them by night, he and his servants, and defeated them and pursued them to Hobah, north of Damascus. Then he brought back all the possessions and also brought back his kinsman Lot with his possessions and the women and the people. After his return from the defeat of Chedor, uh, Chedor Leomer and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shaveh, that is the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abraham by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. And the king of Sodom said to Abraham, Give me the persons, but take the goods for yourself. But Abraham said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted my hand to the Lord God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abraham rich. I will take nothing but what the young men have eaten and the share of the men who went with me. Let Ana, Eshkol, and Mamre take their share. Thank you very much, Josh. Do uh, keep that open. We're going to be looking at uh, that together. There's an outline of where we're going in the service sheet, so do make use of that as you see fit. And at the end, there'll be the opportunity for any questions or comments. But before we go any further, let's pray and ask for God's help. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the God who is truthful, good, and rightly sovereign over us. And we pray, please, in our response to your word now, that we would listen, trust, and obey, and therefore vindicate who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.
Genesis 12, 1-3 are some of the most important verses in the whole Bible to understand. And the reason is this. The reason why these verses are so important is because this is where the promise of God is made. It forms the programme for the rest of the Bible and it concerns nothing less than the fulfilment of God's creation purpose. It may be that you're not particularly familiar with these verses. You may have heard other Christians refer to them as if they were important, but you yourself couldn't really say why if you were asked. Well, in the next few minutes, I'm going to explain why these verses are so important, show you the working, so that you can understand it for yourself. It may be that you're already very familiar with the importance of these verses, in which case you can check that I get the explanation right and don't miss anything else. The term card says that we should be starting today at Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. But the section break really should be back in chapter 11, verse 27, because it's here that we get the fifth of those repeated refrains. And these are the generations of. And here in Genesis 11, verse 27, it is, and these are the generations of terror. And after the genealogical, genealogical list of terror, what follows is the narrative of the significant events in the life of his son, Abraham. And it's not a very promising beginning. His brother dies, chapter 11, verse 28. His wife is barren, chapter 11, verse 30. As far as the ancient world is concerned, he is a no-name. One would be forgiven for thinking how it could be that one with such promise could hold such promise. Yet, if the previous millennia can be described by the first 11 chapters of Genesis, the next 25 years occupy the next 10 chapters. It's, it's as if in the storyline of the narrative, it's if the whole world's been waiting for this moment, the arrival of Abraham. It's in Genesis 12, 1-3 that God makes a promise to Abraham. Many of you will be familiar with this promise. You may know it as summarised in terms of the promise of a land, the promise of a people, and the promise of blessing. And it's a great summary. But let's take a few moments now to take a fresh look at exactly what these verses say, with fresh eyes. Let's do it verse by verse. So, first of all, Genesis 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. It's here that the Lord speaks to Abraham and he tells him to go from Haran, 
where he's at, leaving the house of his father, to go to the land that the Lord will show him. Now, at this point, the land is not identified by the author. At this point, the promise concerns a place that God will show him. Then, verse 2 continues, God speaking, And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. Here the Lord says that he will make Abraham a great nation. Now this is surprising given what we learnt in chapter 11 verse 30. That his wife Sarai was barren and she had no child. At this point Abraham has no prospect of having any children and one might wonder how he could ever therefore become a great nation. We saw last week in Genesis 11 how the whole world at Babel sought to make a name for themselves by constructing that colossal tower. But unlike those builders who sought to make a name for themselves, Abraham's name will be made great by God building him into a great nation. And then verse 3. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonours you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. It's here that the greatness of Abraham's name is developed. Abraham's name will be made great by God building him to a great nation that will bless the nations of the world. The nations in view are those described in Genesis chapter 10, who because of Babel are now scattered over the face of the earth under the judgment of God. At the beginning of this great nation then is the fundamental fact that it has been made, or that it will be made, for the benefit of the world. As well as blessing, there's also mention of curse. I will bless those who bless you, I will, and him who dishonours you, I will curse. An implication here is twofold. One, there will be opposition of the plan of blessing. But that two, the opposition will be defeated. Well, Abraham sets out as he is commanded. And when he first reaches Canaan, the Lord appears to him again. And he's told that the land to which he has come will be given to his descendants. That is to say that the land that God will give them is now identified to the reader as the land of Canaan. But it's not empty, though. At this point, the land is occupied verse 6, by the Canaanites. Now, at some point, 
we will need to engage with the question, who is God that he can give them this land? No doubt the Canaanites would say, it's already taken. It belongs to us. Yet back in Genesis chapter 1, the basic descriptor of God is creator. He's the one who made everything. And since he is the creator of everything, he is the owner of everything. In particular, he's the owner of all the lands of the earth. And therefore he is able to give them to whom he pleases. This idea of God giving a land is tied up to him being the creator. The land is his to give. At this point, it's worth pausing for a moment just to register the fact that it is God taking the initiative here and not Abraham. This isn't Abraham saying, I've got a great idea, God. I had this dream and and God says, great, I will empower you to make it happen. I mean, to be honest, from what we know of Abraham, he was quite unlikely to design such a plan given his circumstances. No, this is God's program, not Abraham's. Abraham will have a role, not least, to him, was given the promise. But it is a role that was given to him by God on his initiative. The significance of God's promise to Abraham becomes all the more potent when we recognise its connection with God's creation purpose. For the promise of Genesis 12, 1-3 is made in the terms of God's creation purpose that we met back in Genesis 1 and 2. In Genesis 2, God gave Adam a land, the Garden of Eden. He and Eve were to multiply and fill the earth. And they were blessed by God who dwelt with them. Furthermore, God's promise to Abraham deals with the problem of Genesis 3, where Adam and Eve were banished from the land. It's been observed that the word blessing occurs five times in these three verses of Genesis 12, 1 to 3, and that these five times is in sharp contrast to the fivefold curse mentioned in chapters 3 to 11. God's promise to Abraham means that the curse that came because of the fall will be reversed. The thing that is new in Genesis 12, 1 to 3 is not a new plan, but rather that that plan is now made explicit in terms of this promise. 
I mean, in many ways, back in Genesis 1, we had no doubt that God's creation purpose wouldn't come to fruition. It's unthinkable that God's purpose for creation would simply come to ruin. I mean, he is, after all, the unrivaled, uncreated creator. But it's here that the promise is given. Genesis 12, 1 to 3. The promise that will ultimately lead to the fulfillment of God's creation purpose. That God makes a promise to Abraham inevitably means that we have to read on because the promise always comes with fulfilment. So you have this thing which is the promise, and then later on you get the keeping of the promise, the fulfilment of it. Now, at this point, we only have the first half, the promise, and so we need to keep going. Now, at this point, we could jump ahead to Abraham's great, 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 great grandson, the Lord Jesus Christ. And how his death on the cross would be the source of this blessing for the whole world. For he would redeem a people from all the nations of the world. And that they will dwell with God in a new heaven and a new earth. I mean, that, that's the direction that we're ultimately going in. But if that is the direction that we're ultimately going in, then everything before can be seen in terms of going in that direction. That is to say that whilst God's promise is far-reaching, it provides the framework to read the rest of the Bible. The promise won't be exhausted until final fulfillment, and so it's good all the way through. In other words, the promise of Genesis 12, 1-3 helps us to read the rest of the Bible. Take Genesis 12, 10 to 20, for example. In chapter 12, verse 10, we learn that Abraham's faced with a critical choice soon after arriving in the land. A famine in Canaan forces him to depart for Egypt. However, in fear for his own life, he endangers the promise of offspring and he passes off his wife as his sister. Pharaoh takes a liking to Sarai, and she is taken off to Pharaoh's harem, which further imperils the promise of offspring. Yet the Lord rescues Abram and Sarai, and they return to Canaan. It was because of Sarai that led to Pharaoh's family to suffer many serious diseases. And this is all an outworking of the promise of Genesis 12, 1-3. In particular, verse 3, where God says to Abraham, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonours you, I will curse. See, if you lift your hand against Abraham and his best interests... You will be defied by God, 
and cursed. Because that is what God promised Abraham in chapter 12. Or consider how the promise of Genesis 12, 1 to 3 makes sense of Genesis 13 and 14 that Josh read uh, for us. Let me make a couple of observations. Abraham's victory over the Mesopotamian kings begins the fulfillment of the Lord's promise to make Abraham's name great. This is the first text in the book of Genesis that features kingship and war. And Abraham's portrayed as a conquering warrior who was able to defeat the Mesopotamian armies with only 318 servants. Abraham is a vastly superior king because that is what the Lord has made him. For the Lord has delivered his enemies into his hand. Notice too that in uh, Genesis 13, 14 to 17, the promise of Genesis 12 to 1 to 3 is reaffirmed. God announces to Abraham that he will possess the land as far as he can see in all directions. It will be given to him and to his innumerable descendants. He's told to walk through the land, its length and breadth, for the land is to be given as God's gift. We never move on from the promise of Genesis 12, 1-3. It's unpacked, fleshed out, expanded upon, but we never move on from it. That is why it's so pivotal. Well, we began with the claim that Genesis 12, 1-3 are some of the most important verses in the whole Bible to understand. And I've explained the reason why. The reason why these verses are so important is because this is where the promise of God is made. It forms the program for the rest of the Bible and it concerns nothing less than the fulfilment of God's creation purpose. The importance of Genesis 12, 1-3 cannot be overstated. So much so that some would advocate dividing the Bible on this text. We're used to the Bible being divided between the Old Testament and the New Testament. But another possibility would be to divide it at this point in Genesis chapter 12. Why? Well, for this is where the promise is made. The promise that the rest of the Bible will unpack and see fulfilled. I'm not suggesting that we do uh, this physically with our Bibles, but conceptually, to understand the Bible in those terms, a case can be made, I think, because of the sheer importance of these three verses. Let's pray. That'll open up to any questions or comments you might have. Heavenly Father, we thank you that since the beginning of our studies in Genesis, we 
had no doubt that your creation purposes would be thwarted, but only be fulfilled. But we thank you here in Genesis 12 that you promise to bring about your creation purposes through Abraham and this family and this nation. And that central to this would be uh, for the benefit of the whole world, even us. And Father, as we look back um, and we see um, how this promise is made, we thank you too that you, whilst you promise a land, that you are the God who is able to fulfill your promise because creation is yours. And therefore, as you take the initiative, it will be used for how you want it to be used and the fulfillment of your creation purpose. We thank you that through Christ we are included in that purpose and we thank you for seeing the, um, the origins of this promise and how that helps us to read and make sense of the rest of your revelation to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I mentioned at the start an opportunity for any questions or comments. Now is your opportunity. If you would like. If not, I could get you to turn to the person next to you and ask them, what is the importance of Genesis 12, 1 to 3? And see if they can explain it to you. This, of course, will be a key one to mark because, particularly in Genesis, we'll be coming back to this again and again and again. So, um, yeah. Nikki. Yes. Yes, I, I knew you picked me up on that. Um, so the, um, I mentioned the, the fact that in Genesis 1, this is not my observation, this is the, um, one of the commentators, and also um, Dempster as well. So he says in Genesis 12, 1 to 3, there, the, there's a fivefold blessing. So if you, if you go through... It says, let's just go through. Now the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country, your kindred, and your father's house to the land I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, so you will be a blessing. I will bless those uh, who bless you, and him who dishonors you will curse, and in your families of the earth shall be blessed. So this is fivefold blessing. And what um, they've observed is that up until this point, there's been five mentions of curse. Now, I might leave that as an open home activity. But I'll give you the first one. So the first curse would be back in Genesis 3 as a result of Adam and Eve's disobedience. It says... Um, uh, verse 17. God said to Adam, Because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. And that theme of curse is mentioned four more times between Genesis 3 
Genesis 11. Um, now, I don't know quite what you make of, oh, is that, you know, 5-5, five, five, is that? But I think it does draw attention to how we to understand blessing. And I think we're to understand blessing is the opposite of curse. And so blessing is understood as the reversal of the curse that resulted as the result of Genesis um, 3. So the words, the problem of Genesis 3 is curse, which then continues on. And therefore the solution is that that curse becomes uh, a blessing. So I think it helps us to put those things together, that they're kind of opposites. So blessing represents the reversal of the curse for Genesis 3. And that then ties in with, well, if the curse is reversed, does that mean the fulfillment of God's creation purpose. Is that... Can I let you find them? I haven't got them in my notes and I, we could look through, but it's a good activity. Anybody else? This could be a good sign that everyone's very clear and very happy. Yes. Yes. I think you're, to be fair, what you said at the end there, I think you're on the right, right lines. Let me just repeat the question for the um, recording. So in, in verse 3 it says, I'll bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So this whole idea of, hang on, do we bless Abraham? How does that work? And then this whole idea of all the families of earth should be blessed just sounds quite like, and they all lived happily ever after, that sort of thing. Yes, so, one thing I think is really interesting is that we look at this, and we're going to sing in, in a minute, uh, uh, the fact that the mystery's been revealed. We, we now know God's plan's been fully published. We know everything. So we look back, and Abraham almost knew nothing. And so it's quite an interesting to to look back and to think about how it, all this idea of enjoy the ride. But I guess what we've got here is that the fact that Abraham will be made into a great nation, that great nation will become Israel. Um, and, and I think you're right that it's not, because obviously Abraham's going to die, 
And one of the things that we're going to... So Abraham's not going to be around in order for us to have a relationship with him in that sense. Because, And this is why in the book of Genesis, children are so important. Because what happens is, is that the promise gets passed on from generation to generation. So what we find is, in the first instance, it is about Abraham. So Pharaoh learned that. Basically, if you, if you take Abraham's wife, you're going to pay for it. As in, So it does concern this man. But ultimately, it will concern the nation. And then, as you said, Susie, although there's no mention of it here, that from that nation will come a descendant who will bring final fulfilment. But that's a long way down the road. There's an awful lot to happen. And before that, we'll have shadows of fulfilment with David and Solomon. So there's not, you know, we don't just sort of jump to that. And you might ask the question, well, why don't we jump to that? And it goes back to Henry's question weeks ago about why did God put the tree there? That God is going to take his time and he's going to show us the kind of God that he is. Not least that he keeps promises. So he makes promises and he keeps them. Um, so this whole idea of doubting the truth of God's word is put to bed as we see the God who makes a promise and then keeps it. So I think, and that's something that we'll see when Abraham to Isaac to Jacob, we'll see that each of the descendants, the promises is reaffirmed for that generation. So that sets a course that will be from this great nation. Fulfillment will come. In terms of all the families of the earth shall be blessed, it could sound a little bit like, you know, happy ever after. But that's why I think the curse mention of the dishonouring and curse is quite important. And I think this is where, you know, when we have the, the summary of people land blessing, we probably just need to nuance the blessing because here the assumption is that some will dishonour this nation. Um, and in dishonouring the nation, they won't find blessing, but curse. So God's intention is to bring blessing to the world because that's his creation purpose, that the new heaven and new earth will be full of his people and he will bless them. That's the, that's the goal in it all. But even here, there is preparation made, expectation that there will be opposition to this plan, but that ultimately won't prevail and will lead to sort of curse. So I think then that just sharpens us to think, actually, it's not a foregone conclusion that people will relate rightly to this, to this great nation and ultimately, that will be found in actually how they relate to the true Israel, Jesus. In other words, whether you're blessed or cursed by God is determined by how you relate to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the end of the day. That, that's where it sort of lands. Um, but, but the intention here is that... There's, and this is where those are reading Revelation. The picture of Revelation is it's from... Um, the picture uh, when John has a vision of the new heavenly earth it's from a multitude that no one can count um, aka I'll make your offspring as the dust of the earth uh, from every tribe, nation, tongue so there is that sense of there's not just going to be a few of us there scratching around but actually that part of the fulfilment will be the nations will be there enjoying the blessing of God as he dwells with them
Is that, is that okay, Susie? But it's an interesting challenge because what you, to enjoy the ride, you can't, like, it doesn't say all of that here. So you just have to kind of think in terms of these, you know, central to Abraham is this great nation to whom the blessing of the nations come. And I, interestingly, one final thing on verse 3, I think also that shows you how far-reaching this promise is. Because I, I think under David and Solomon, you don't get the nations of the world don't experience the blessing of God. You get glimpses of it, Queen of Sheba. But I think, again, that shows you how far-reaching this promise is that it encompasses the whole world. Time for one more, if you would like. That was a long one, a short one. Nathan. Yeah. Yeah, and I guess you get that too with the whole. I mean, Adam is Adam. Abraham's just accruing wealth in terms of um, possessions, uh, descendants. You know, there's that whole well, not descendants yet, but in terms of he is, you can see the beginnings of a of a, uh, a great nation. It's interesting. Yeah, he mentioned about King of Sodom because he's not prepared to. You feel like Abraham's got some sense in which he's, um, well, because Sodom's been introduced somewhat critically in chapter 13, verse 13. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. So he doesn't seem to be willing to take plunder from them to contribute to him becoming a great nation, that he won't become a great nation through the spoils of Sodom, but actually that he will come through the victory that the Lord gives him. Um, I mean, Melchizedek's an interesting one, but that's just a bit of a cliffhanger because you just think, hang on, who's blessing who here? Because it does seem like Melchizedek is blessing Abraham and Abraham's paying tithes to Melchizedek. And you just think, what's going on here? That seems to put Melchizedek superior to Abraham. But then Melchizedek just goes off the scene. And there'd be no mention of him until Psalm 110 and then the book of Hebrews that we've been working through. So Melchizedek's a little bit of a teaser in terms of like what's, again, but I think it's all designed to make you read on. That this isn't just a promise, it's not instant gratification. God makes a promise, you get this job done. This promise is so far-reaching. These stories are so intertwined that you just have to keep going. And you have to keep going until you get to the uh, to the, God, the Lord Jesus Christ and, and the fulfilment that He brings, so it's um it's that important. Okay, we will leave it there for now. We're um we're going to sing again. Come behold the wondrous mystery, and after that, I'll lead us in prayer for our quiz night.